0: That was just a little snippet of what we did last week. Uh, We'll be hearing a lot more. We always give testimonies when uh, we wanted John Kelly to be back, who was there the week after us. And so you'll be hearing more about what, uh, what went on there in Honduras. It was a great trip. Uh, and we, it was great to see what our missionaries were doing down there as we take the Word of God to all the, all the world, as, God, as, as Jesus commanded us to do. And so we're in a series uh, called, we're uh, starting it today, called When a Sci- Society Commits Suicide. And we're going through the book of Romans, uh, actually Romans chapter 1, where Paul lays out the steps that every society has taken... That is self-destructed, that has committed suicide. He lays it out. It's what the nation of Israel did, what the Greek Empire did, what the Roman Empire did, and what the United States is doing right now, currently. And so we are going to look at what the Bible warns us about and what we can do as Christians in the midst of it. And this is part one, and it's called Removing God from the Throne. And the main thing today is when the foundation is gone, the house will soon be gone now, this year, those of you that have been here uh, all year, you guys know the year theme is God first. God first. That's what we're talking about this entire year. And it's not just a nice idea. Having God first is not just a nice idea. One good idea among many. It's the same as kind of putting oxygen first. Uh, you've heard the story about the blonde who went to get her hair cut. She had huge headphones on. And the barber or the stylist said, you need to take those off so I can do your hair. And she goes, well, I can't take them off or I'll die. And she goes, I, I, And the stylist assured her that she would not die, and she took her headphones off, and after about 30 seconds, fell to the floor dead. And the, the stylist looked up, and she put the headphones on and, uh, and heard a, a recorded voice going, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, the blonde understood something that she had to breathe in order to live, and our society needs to understand that without God, we die. We die, we commit suicide. How do we know that? Well, it's easy. It's nothing new. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about the steps the society takes to self-destruct. In Romans chapter 1, like I said, Israel followed it. Greek Empire, Roman Empire, and America now. Uh, over the next three weeks, we'll be talking about that clear path the societies take when they're intent on destroying themselves uh, and, and, so, uh, and what Christians can do. In the midst of it, This first thing that we find out in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, he says this, that we have no excuse for this. We have no excuse. We can't plead ignorance is what Paul says here. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Okay, so the first thing is we cannot plead ignorance. God, uh, the Bible clearly says that we know who God is. There's a consciousness within us. We were made to know God, and so we have no excuse. We can't plead ignorance for this kind of stuff, okay? And that's why Paul is writing this to warn us. We can't, we can't say, well, we just didn't know. We didn't, you didn't tell us. Not not a valid thing. So the step, first step here is that, what Paul describes, is that the society that commits suicide is just gets God completely wrong. That's step one, getting God completely wrong. Verse 21 says this, for although they knew God, they meaning us, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the first mark of a society committing suicide is is kind of a perversion of the concept of God. Now, interestingly enough, a society commits suicide will not deny God. They will continue to say they believe in God. They may even continue to go to church, but the God they claim is nowhere near the God of the Bible. Um, as, as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's gonna characterize a church in a society committing suicide, having, having a, a form of godliness denying its power. I saw an article about a pastor, and I use that term loosely, uh, in, in the Methodist church. The, the, the Methodist church is the, the church that I grew up in, so I, I'm, I'm very close to it and everything, and this was an article that was shared with me, and, it's, and if you guys see up here, uh, the article is the Methodist Church's first drag queen pastor, God is nothing. What this person says. Uh, in a new poem, a gender-bending minister for the nation's third largest denomination says that queerness is divine. In the article, in the next one, he speaks of God not as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but rather as a source of queerness, describing him as nothing but a drag queen with a microphone of biblical effing proportions. Nothing, but if she were, she would be, yes, queening her way down the runways of Paris and Montreal, and nothing. But if she were, she would be a seamstress to divide couture, weaving together string theory and self-portraits of the form, to form the fiercest gowns of queer existence. Now, I'm an educated man, but I have no idea what that means. I, I can't make head or tail of that, but like Paul said, their thinking became futile. Their minds were darkened. And, and this is an apt description of what Paul says. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. See, the, 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 that, that pastor was, was perfectly willing to admit the concept of God, but they neither give thanks nor, uh, nor glorified him as God. Now, this is obviously a friend's person, and, and they need professional help. Uh, that's not mainstream. However, many if not most of us have done basically the same thing, if we're honest, here in this church. And and, and, and we we have done the same thing. Uh, See if any of these wrong perceptions of God exist in your life. Some of us think of God as the grandmother, just wanting everyone to be happy, okay? Uh, That's the first wrong perception, just wanting you to be happy. Uh, W.H. Auden said this, and a lot of us have this as our uh, default mechanism. I like to sin, God likes to forgive, really the world is admirably arranged. Uh, this is the month where we're told by even by Christians that God wants us just to love and accept everyone. This month, being Pride Month, that we're told that, that God just wants us to love and accept everyone. You've heard that, I had someone sell that to me. That that's what God wants us to do, to love and accept everybody. And, I, and I, I said, you don't really mean that. And he goes, yes I do. I said, no, you really don't mean that. I said, human traffickers, I'm supposed to just accept them what they're doing, uh, a child rapist, I'm, I'm supposed to accept that? I'm, I'm supposed to just love and accept everyone? And he goes, oh, no, now, now that you're being silly, I said, no, so what you don't, you don't really believe that God wants us to love and accept everyone, you just want to be the one that chooses what is accepted, okay? And God isn't a grandmother wanting everyone to be happy. See, the, the problem is, 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 you don't have to worry about me Accepting, I, I, I'm not the one you have to worry about. My opinion means nothing. It's God's opinion that means everything. Okay? Don't fall for the misconception. God is not a grandmother just wanting everyone to be happy. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He has dictated what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to do things His way, not our own way, just wanting everyone to be happy. That's misconception number one. The misconception number two on the other side of the spectrum on, on this is the sheriff. Just waiting for you to screw up. And those of you that are my age and older will understand this guy right here. <laughs> Sheriff, who's that? Sheriff Buford T. Justice. Absolutely. Yeah. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. A lot of us think that we got Sheriff Buford T. Justice chasing us, waiting for us to screw up, and, I, and, and waiting just to, to nail us. Okay? That's the way a lot of people have grown up. I've had so many heartbreaking conversations with people that are not in church now because that was the image of God that they were given, that, that the second you screw up, you're done, you're toast. That is not the God that we understand from the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. Uh, a a defective authority. See, there there are people in here today. The reason you're here isn't because you love God, not because you see him as an infinite treasure, but because you're afraid that God's just gonna send you to hell. And, and, and you fear his punishments. Or there, there are others of you that are in here that, that don't really love God, but you really want what God can give you. You, know, you, you, you. you enjoy the worship, you enjoy the fellowship, you enjoy the gifts that he gives you, but you're really not into God all that much. Okay? Listen, listen. A defective Lord can be followed because people fear their threats or want their gifts their gifts. There were people in, in Stalinist Russia that did everything Joseph Stalin said, even though he's a totalitarian dictator, because they feared being sent to the gulag or they wanted a position in the party. So, guys, that's the way a lot of Christians are today. They, 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 they fear God's punishments or they want his gifts, but they don't value him. That's, a, that's misconception number two. but The one that, that, that really hits home is this one, The distant, Disengaged Father. Um, how many of y'all seen The Incredibles? One of my kids' favorite uh, lines in that is uh, when, when the, the kids are going crazy and uh, uh, Elastigirl says, Bob, you need to engage. And Bob says in this very disinterested voice, kids, listen to your mother. And my, my, every, every time I do that, my kids quote that to me, it's great, so. Uh, but yeah this, this is basically what a lot of us think God is he's he 's he's the, the guy sitting there on the couch, disinterested, kind of conked out and he 's really not doing anything. Jesus told a parable in matthew twenty four about a landowner who went on a long journey and put, the, put a servant in charge of the household. He said, "I want you to mow the grass, I want you to tend the, tend the garden. I want you to make sure I want you to make repairs on the house. I want to make sure everybody 's got food you 're in charge of the house and at, at the beginning, the servant was doing great. he, he was mowing the grass fixing the house, making sure everybody had food, but the, the, the owner of the house was gone a lot longer than he thought, and so he just kind of stopped mowing the grass, kind of stopped making repairs, started drinking, laying around, and then he began beating the other servants, and then all of a sudden the landowner arrives and sees his house in disrepair, the grass is overgrown, the roof's falling in, the servants are all beat up, and there's his chief guy laying there, passed out, drunk on the, on the, on the bed. And Jesus says this, and I quote, cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in other words, this servant thought that God was this bored, disinterested person. He wasn't really engaged. There wasn't really any consequence to not doing what God said. He's just got distant. A lot of us live that way, that God has promised to return, but it's been a long time, so we're just gonna kind of do our own thing. Okay, he's the bored, disinterested father. And how many of us truly live like that today? See, the thing is, the main point is this. I want you to hear this. None of those images, the grandmother, the sheriff, the bored, disinterested father, none of those are worthy of worship. We don't give our worship to those we, w- we don't give our worship to a grandmother just wanting everyone to be happy. We don't give our worship to a sheriff who's just waiting to, for you to screw up. We don't, we don't give our worship to a bored, disinterested father that, that, that could care less about us. We don't do that. But that is the first hallmark of a society committing suicide, getting God completely wrong, okay? And then after, after we get God completely wrong, Paul says this in number three. Our step two is giving our worship to that which is lesser. Instead of taking our worship and giving it to God, we give it to that which is lesser. Verse 22 and 23. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. See, guys, what worship is, we have to understand what worship is. Worship is just not just singing. I mean, we call this worship, what we were just doing here, and, and I love that, I love music, but that's not what worship is. Worship is this, it's acknowledging everything that God is through everything that I am. 100% of me acknowledging 100% of him. That's what worship is. So when you, when you make an honest decision, when you could have gotten away with something, that's worship. When you show love to a person that no one else loves, that's worship. When you give, like God tells you to do, to sacrifice and, and, and not do what you want to do, but you give, that is worship. When you uh, get into the baptistry and you surrender your life to Christ, that is worship. Acknowledging 100% of what he is through 100% of me. Not 99, not 98, not 50%, 100% of who I am. All, everything, that's what worship is. And idolatry is the sick cousin, the the, the ugly cousin of worship, and that is this, replacing God with one of his good gifts. That's what idolatry is. Idolatry is taking something that's lesser and giving uh, giving our worship to it, giving everything that we are. So this is what happens when we remove God from the throne. This is the results, okay, and you may not see it, this is what happens when God is not in the right place in our lives, in our society. This is what happens, first thing is this, is that we run after that which fails us every time. Okay, that's what we do. When we do not recognize God as everything, when he is not our number one, then we begin running after that which fails us every time. Jeremiah 2.3 says this. It's probably Jeremiah speaking to the nation of Israel. He says this, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. All right? So in other words, let's set the stage here. Here is this amazing fount of water, okay, that's, that's, that it, living water is never going to run dry, and, and you're drinking from it. And then all of a sudden you just decide, ah, I don't like that. I don't like having this plentiful water source. What I'm going to do is I'm going to dig my own cistern, and, 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 and I'm not going to do a great job. It's going to have cracks in it all, and I'm going to keep pouring water in. And it's going to keep uh, uh, leaking out, and I'm not going to have water. How's that sound? Sound smart? That sounds smart? Here's this un, uh, you know, th- th- this amazing supply of water, fresh, clean water, and you're going to dig your own broken, water, broken cistern that can't hold water. How, how many of y'all, th- that's a good idea? How many of y'all are like, yeah, that- that's smart, that's smart, that person knows what they're doing? That's exactly what God says the nation of Israel did, that's exactly what we do when we forsake God. I was always told in my secular education, I went to public school, went to private college, the first first uh, Christian school I ever went to was seminary, um, but I was always told in my secular education that if we just removed religion, if we removed God from society, and all the divis- all the divisiveness and all the wars that religion got, you have heard this? This sound familiar? That utopia would be ushered in, that we would, uh, have scientific progress would be made, that we'd become more tolerant, we'd become more peaceful, that, we would, that, that basically it'd be Shangri-La. If we could just remove these ancient, outmoded, stupid things that God tells us, if we just kick him out. That's what I was taught. I mean, I was, I was inundated with that. Well, faith and religion have been Basically, removed from society. So how's it working out for us? Have we become more tolerant? Have we become more joyful? Have we become more happy? Have we become more, more have we made more progress? Well, the answer, you already know the answer to that. We've forsaken God, the spring of living water, and we've gone after our own cisterns, broken cisterns that couldn't hold water. See if any of this sounds familiar. Forsaking the spring of living water and digging our own cisterns, now we have an entire generation of kids that don't know what gender they are. Basic biology is now uh, now, now, up for grabs. Um, we have parents taking their children to drag queen shows where they put dollar bills in the drag queen's underwear. Kids as young as five and six and seven. That happened in Dallas last week. We have schools hiding their, their students' gender transitions from their parents, something that was unthinkable, even three or four years ago. Uh, we have mass shootings now. Uh, we have society that's embraced politics as a new religion. See, we didn't remove God from society. We simply built a lesser one and gave it our worship, it's called politics. And if you don't think that politics has become the default religion of America, if you don't think that, simply look at what the purists do when someone deviates from their beliefs. Look what happens to someone who doesn't toe the line on a political belief. They go after that person with a gusto of the inquisition cleansing the land of heretics. Well, believe me, politics is the new religion. We have not gotten rid of religion. We've just made a lesser one. And instead of the spring of living water, we've built a cistern that doesn't hold water, that's broken and doesn't satisfy, and we're constantly going after that which is lesser. That's what happens when you remove God from the throne, from society. That's what happens when you remove God from your life. You don't become freer. You simply serve something else that doesn't satisfy. And that's seen time and time And time again, there's no such thing as the absence of God. There's there's only a real God and a false God. Human beings, we will worship something. We're made to worship. We're designed to worship. We will give our our 100% to something. We will give our passion. We'll give our, our attention, our money, our gifts, our time. We will give that to something. And if it's not God, it's something lesser. And that's the hallmark of a society that's bent on committing suicide, Paul says. Only question is, will we worship the true God, the spring of living water? Will we build for ourselves something lesser to worship, a broken cistern? And that's what a lot of us are doing today. We're doing that right now. We're, we're, we're in church this morning, we're online this morning, but our hearts are somewhere else. Our hearts, something else has our heart, our job, our, our family, our, our politics, uh, whatever, some type of rebellion or sin, an addiction. Something else has your heart and you've forsaken the spring of living water, and you dug yourself a cistern that's broken, and it doesn't satisfy. What's going on right now? The second thing that happens when we remove God from the throne is this, we spend ourselves in that which doesn't satisfy. All right, Isaiah 55 two. Isaiah asks a brilliant question that we need to answer. He says, why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? It's a good question. Human beings, Americans, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we spending ourselves in things that don't satisfy? That's a great question. He says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare." Okay, listen, in the New Testament, the New Testament, uh, conversion meant discovering that Jesus was a treasure of such incredible worth that a person would joyfully leave everything behind to follow him. That's what what conversion meant in the New Testament. Jesus told a parable of a man who was on a field one day. He's walking through a field, and he sees a treasure, a treasure worth millions and millions of dollars. And he's a poor man. He doesn't have millions of dollars. He he scratches He's like, man, I'm going to cover this back up. And I'm going to lump together all of my stuff. I'm going to get my house together, my clothes together, my, my little meager possessions. I'm gonna, and I'm going to sell them all because I'm going to buy this field. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lump everything I've got, everything I've got. The totals maybe worth about a thousand bucks. Maybe, maybe that's what I've got. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell it all. And I'm going to give this to the land. I'm going to buy this field because what's in this field is so much greater. I don't mind leaving everything behind. That's what Jesus told in the parable. All right, get this. The Bible tells us that he joyfully sold all he had joyfully this was not a, a, a hard decision for him he saw it he saw the treasure he saw what he had his life and he just sold it all and he bought the field he, he got rid of that which was lesser for that which was greater and it was joyful to him and that's what Jesus was basically describing that's what happens when a person finds God that's what happens when a person becomes a Christian you look at your life and you're like this is nothing this is a treasure and this is what I want Okay, that, that is what Jesus said. It means that Jesus see in Jesus such worth that everything else in our life is just garbage. All right, what do you think of someone who has who was in his shoes, who saw a treasure worth millions of bucks, and he's got his ro- broken down shack, and he's got his uh, you know his hand me down clothes, and, and he's got a twenty year old Nissan Maxima, and uh, everything. He's just you know. I'm just going to hold on to this. I I, I get the treasure, but this is just comfortable. This is just familiar. I, I, I think I'm just going to stay here. What would you think about that person? Foolish. And yet, that's Paul's describing Romans 1. Although they knew God, they never glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. And their thinking became futile. And so because we don't honor God, we choose that which is lesser all day long. So when God is not the desires of our hearts, when he's not treasured, he's infinitely valuable, we don't worship him. We give our worship to things that are lesser, to things that don't satisfy. That leaves us high and dry. This week, there was an incredibly significant story that's kind of been buried in the mainstream news. Uh, A man drove from California to the house of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and wanted to kill him. He was arrested He found him with multiple weapons and equipment and everything, planned on carrying out the assassination of a Supreme Court justice. I don't know if you guys saw that story or not. But here's the, I took a, a screenshot of the news article, and in the highlight, it says this about the man who was arrested near Kavanaugh's home, a young man from California who said that in order to give his own life purpose, he intended to kill Kavanaugh. In order to give his life purpose, he needed to kill a Supreme Court justice. That is the mark of someone who has given himself to that which is lesser. Where do Christians find purpose? It's in God. But when God is removed from the throne, we have purposeless young men, purposeless young women wandering around, wanting some type of purpose, and this is the kind of stuff that results. A a, a young man... In politics, the new religion has thinks that, that killing someone will give his life meaning and purpose. He's giving himself to that which is lesser when God is ama- God is is open for everything. The third thing is this: is that we lose ourselves. We lose ourselves. Matthew 16, 26 says, What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What good is it, you all, to gain the whole world, to be wealthy, to, to have the, the, the big promotion, to have the, the nice car, to have everything, if you forfeit your very self? It's a good question. I've said it many times before, and I'll say it again, that you will be most fully yourself when you embrace God. When you, when, when you move yourself off of the throne of your heart and you put God squarely there, you will be more fully yourself than ever before. See, guys, God loves you. He created you. He created all those things that you love. He created music. He created uh, uh, your passions. He created your likes. He created all those things. Where do you think those things that you enjoy come from? They come from God. He put you. He put them in you for you to enjoy. For you to be yourself. Now, Satan and this world will try to corrupt that and pervert that and try to take what God has put in you and to use it for Satan's purpose and the world's purposes. They will do that, but when uh, um, you surrender to God, and he's on the throne of your life. You will become fully you. You will become fully, you will be the person that God meant you to be. You will enjoy life so much more. I, 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 I'm, I'm getting ready to have my 30th high school reunion and next month, and it's always interesting seeing my former classmates who knew me when I was not a Christian. And getting together with them is always interesting. And I I can remember some of the conversations that my former classmates, former soccer teammates and everything and I had, about how Christianity was boring or, or this kind of thing. And I just, when I was going to Honduras, I was just thinking to myself about the adventure of faith that God has sent me on. Since I became a Christian, I've, I've been on 13 foreign mission trips. I've been to Mexico, been to Chile, been to Honduras, been to Nepal, been to India. I've been all these places and, and, and encountered all different types of cultures. I've had all different types of adventures, Planning this church, stepping out, getting to know you guys, starting the, the jail ministry down there. All, it's been one huge adventure of faith. And I want to ask my classmates who would think Christianity, following Christ is boring, what they're doing. Ain't that that God, when, when I became a Christian, God sent me on the adventure of adventures and has been amazing because he designed me for adventure. He designed me for risk. He designed me to go and explore and create and things, that's how he made me. And when I became a Christian, I was able to do all of those things in a non-destructive way. I was, I was riding my motorcycle in the country a couple years ago and I was on a country road And I saw the strangest thing I've ever seen. I saw this beauty. You know, obviously it's Kentucky. We got so many beautiful horse farms and everything like that. Well, there's this huge pasture, and there were horses running. And it's beautifully kept. It was was nothing but greenest grass you've ever seen. House way off in the distance. uh, A a Kentucky fence that, that that was right there by the road, and it was trash day. So the uh, the owner of the house had set trash out by the curb. And there was this thoroughbred, this beautiful thoroughbred with his neck straining through the Kentucky fence to get the garbage. And I just thought to myself, that's us. Here is this amazing pasture, this beautiful pasture for this thoroughbred to run to his heart's content. There were plenty of mares there for him to do his thing. There was grass. There was everything he could possibly need in this beautiful pasture, and he wanted the garbage. He, the, the guy, he probably thought that fence was the most awful, horrible thing you could ever imagine because it was stopping him from getting the garbage. And I thought to myself, how many Christians, how many people is that? God has given us this amazing life. He has given us his word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us each other. He's given us gifts, talents, things for us to enjoy, food, working, Pleasure, all because all this kind of stuff that He has got He has given for us to enjoy. Most of all, He's given us Him for us to worship, for Him to set us free, to cleanse us of our sins, past, present, and future. And we're going after the garbage. And we look at that fence as repressive and awful and terrible. When if we would simply turn around and look at the pasture, we wouldn't want the garbage. But today, there are people in this church, there are people in this community that are straining through the fence of God's word trying to get the garbage because they truly believe it's better than the pasture. See, that's what happens when a society removes God from the throne. So what I want you all to do today, I want you to ask yourself, am I going after the garbage? Are you going after an addiction are you going after materialism? Are you going after the, the, play, the praise of people? Are you going after popularity? Are you going after these things that have been set to the curb when infinite joy in life is offered you? Someone says, well, to follow Christ, I just have to change so much. Man, to, to surrender, to do what you're talking about, Dave, to put God on the throne of my heart, I would have to change so much. No, you won't have to stop straining through the fence to get the garbage. And when you look at it that way, it's not really hard to do. So go enjoy the beautiful pasture that God designed for you to run in with all the things that he has blessed you with. His way inside his huge fence. Stop going after The garbage outside of it. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Adios.